It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It is officially silly season. Silly. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> it's uncomfortable season, that's for sure. <laughs> Awkward season. Yeah. And we're not talking about how it's raining every day and ruins your hair. Might as well just rain. I mean, if toads fell out of the sky at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just been one of those weeks. And the week started Sunday night for me. It's about 11 o'clock. I get a text message. Man, that kept me up for a couple hours. On Sunday night, there was a lawsuit filed with the defendant, Speaker Moore. We're not going to get into the details of this lascivious reading of a lawsuit. You can go and find all the details, all you want, wherever you want to get your news. All we're going to say is it rocked the General Assembly this week. You felt a cloud starting on Monday, forming, and we're not talking about the rain outside, we're talking about political storms brewing inside the General Assembly, inside NC Poll World. We know that Tuesday afternoon, there was a caucus meeting that went well into the evening. It was a marathon caucus. Speaker Moore did say to reporter Nick Oshner that he did address this issue. By all accounts, the Speaker seems to be on firm footing inside the House, and we are proceeding ahead with budget negotiations and the session. However, it just became a part of the water cooler talk that we heard. And, you know, a lot of speculation, what kind of damage does this do to Speaker Moore. One thing that I wanted to talk about, and and we're not much into on this podcast kind of giving our opinion. I I do want to say this, though, that social media sky was just toxic around this issue. We do have a statute on the books around alienation of affection, criminal conversation. And my first experience with this was when I lived in Alamance County for about five or six years. There's a weekly newspaper there called the Alamance News. And this weekly paper just publishes these sorts of lawsuits, these stories. They just verbatim, just cut and paste. And I do feel like there's a certain depraved entertainment we get reading people's personal problems within their marriage or within relationships. Yeah. You know, my general position on this is if it's consensual, it's not my business. Yeah. If it's not consensual, I'll be involved. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Look, everyone's got their politics out there. You know, throw your bombs. I'm sure this podcast is not going to stop you from doing that. But let me just say this, that we're talking about three human beings here that are in a lot of pain. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's just a general rule about everything (laughs) that we're involved in. Yeah. Politics in general. So we got into the session Tuesday, all this stuff hanging over us, and veto overrides were put on the calendar. Now, this started on Friday when Governor Roy Cooper vetoed Senate Bill 364. This is the non-discrimination and dignity in work, and it's about how we employ state employees and what questions we can ask them about their political or social views. Then Monday, we get three more vetoes. And these were the surprising vetoes. 
because these bills seem innocuous. That's Senate Bill 331, titled Consumer Finance Act Amendments, Senate Bill 329, Retail Installment Sales Act Amendments, and Senate Bill 299, Reimburse Late Audit Costs with Sales Tax Revenue. Those aren't bills that involve us. I'm not sure that I'd kept tabs on any of them. So when those vetoes came in on Monday afternoon, I looked up the votes on the bills. Yeah. And I said to you, these all have a majority of Democratic support. Why did he veto these? Yeah, I reached out to Senator Jim Perry. He's a sponsor of two of the bills. And I said, hey, what's going on? He says, I don't know. He didn't get a heads up. Who is Jim Perry? Oh, yeah. Uh, He's a Republican. Okay, go ahead. He said, I work these bills out with the Justice Center. That's the liberal think tank here in town. And he said, I didn't get a heads up from the governor that these vetoes were coming. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a mystery. On Tuesday, the Senate did take up those overrides for all four of those bills. And what was interesting about that was that there was not a lot of discussion. Yeah. Um, Senator Chaudhary read about how the governor should be involved in lawmaking And then from there, they voted on all of them. Now, the House is planning to take up those override votes on Wednesday of next week. Democrats did not vote in line necessarily with the governor. We had a couple Democrats vote against the governor's veto to override the veto, I should say. A lot of speculation inside the building. What is the governor's strategy here? What is he doing? Some folks, myself included, are thinking he's like, whatever, let's just veto some stuff. Veto overrides weren't the only controversy this week. There were a couple of elections bills that we've touched on in the last few podcasts. Those were debated over on the Senate side on the floor Wednesday evening and ultimately passed along party lines. Yeah. We did hear from some Democrats, Senator Mushtaba Muhammad, uh, Senator Jay Chaudhary, that they did negotiate some, in their view, improvements in the bill. But yes, it was definitely a party line vote and a pretty robust debate in the Senate on Wednesday afternoon. Now, the anti-trans bills, if you will, a lot of those bills moving. You had the Parents' Bill of Rights. That started moving again. That was debated months ago, but they seem to have come to some language about that. And you may remember this from a few months ago on the podcast when we did talk about what that does. It informs parents if a child asks to change their pronouns or their name or gender identity. It also makes textbooks, curriculum available for parental review. And there's another issue within there that has been, I think, a national conversation that we're having right now about what books are appropriate for children, age-appropriate books. And so it allows parents to kind of see what those books are. Additionally, there were two bills, one in the House side and one on the Senate side, talking about gender-affirming care. Representative Tim Reeder, he had a PCS of a Senate bill dealing with this issue. That bill moved in the House. Meanwhile, the Senate had their own version, and that moved in the Senate this week. And the last of those four bills was the Fairness in Women's Sports Bill. And we've talked about that previously, but it did head to the governor's desk today. So just a note, on the Senate side, 
Senator Val Applewhite voted with the Republicans on that. And on the House side, Representative Michael Ray voted with the Republicans on that measure. I just want to take a minute to talk about where we are in session and what the heck is going on. Senator Perry tweeted out something this morning, recording on... Who's Senator Perry? I don't know. You referenced him. I thought he was a fictional (laughs) character we were both referencing. (laughs) Tweeted out this morning about how 24 bills have been enacted this session. So 30,000 foot view. We've been in session since January. It is now the end of June. 24 bills have passed. Hmm. And the speaker said today on the floor, he did confirm we will be in session in mid-July. But it was confirmed this week that they're not going to take away our 4th of July week. We have it all for the whole week. General Assembly is shutting down skeleton sessions. Thank you to the legislators that are here in Wake County that will come and have those administrative sessions so that we can follow our Constitution. But we're going to be off. Looking forward to it. Mm. So there's some news on the abortion bill. There was a lawsuit filed by Planned Parenthood challenging provisions in SB 20. That was the abortion bill that passed a few weeks back. Uh, And then today, we're recording this on Thursday, this morning, we saw an amendment that appears to be addressing some of the provisions that are being challenged by the lawsuit. Specifically, there is a provision in Senate Bill 20 that states the doctor or physician must verify that the fetus is less than 70 days old and the amendment removes that provision. The Senate will debate this again on Monday. I haven't read the lawsuit, but I suspect that this one provision fix does not make the lawsuit moot, but we'll continue to watch this. So we want to make One clarification about something we said last week on the podcast about the election bill dealing with the governance proposal for the State Board of Elections. We said last week that ties would be decided at the state board level. It'd be an even board, 2-2. We said that ties would be decided by the General Assembly, but that's not in all cases. That would be for replacing the executive director or the chair of the board. Thanks for that clarification from a listener. Just want to make sure we were being accurate about that. We got to sit down this week with Senator Paul Lowe for a really energetic conversation about how he approaches policy and his life. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Paul Lowe, welcome to the Do Politics Better podcast. Well, thank you. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where's your district? Why is your district special? My district is in Forsyth County in the city of Winston-Salem, and my entire district is in Forsyth, and I don't know, maybe 80% of it is in Mm Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. Winston is a unique area in that at one time it was one of the largest cities in North Carolina. It has a 
unique business sense because you have five Fortune 500 companies that started about the same time, Wachovia Bank, McLean Trucking, USA, USA or Piedmont Air Airlines, mm -hmm. and then Reynolds Tobacco Company, and then Haynes Brand. Mm -hmm. So you had all of those companies around the same period that were very, very large in Winston-Salem. Now things have changed a lot, particularly with Reynolds Tobacco Company. On the other hand, Winston is a city, and in a unique kind of way, it would prefer to be a town. But it has, you know, city sensibilities, but it likes that small town feel. And that's one of the, one of the uniquenesses there. You have Winston-Salem State University, you have Wake Forest University, you have Salem College, and then you have the School of the Arts. In a lot of ways, it's certainly a very artistic city. Yeah. I yeah. see you failed to mention Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme, one of, <laughs> one of my <laughs> secret sins. <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> Senator Lowe, are you from Winston-Salem? I'm not originally from Winston-Salem. Hmm. Um, I've been there longer than I've been anywhere else. I've been there a little over 32 years. Wow. Um, I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. I went to college in Texas and then went to graduate school in Richmond and after shortly after graduate school came here in 19 the fall of 1991. What brought you here? Work like everybody else. Um, I serve a church the Shiloh Baptist Church where I'm a senior pastor and I've been there since October of 1991 so I've been there a long time. Is your service at Shiloh Baptist Church is that where you began getting involved in politics, or is that a recent thing for you? I was involved in the community all the time. I had never planned to be involved at the level I'm involved now. What's kind of funny when I look back at some of those figures that were very, very profound politically around Winston-Salem, and one of those was Velma Hopkins, Back in the 40s, she was one of the individuals that did a lot of union work. She worked for Reynolds Tobacco Company, and they had a big switch that shut off one of the machines. And she shut off the machine and laid in front of it until the police came to get her. And, you know, protesting for fair rights and fair treatment for those that worked there. Well... Velma was quite a figure around there, and her best friend was a woman by the name of Maisie Woodruff, one of the first black county commissioners in Forsyth County in Winston-Salem. I got to know them really, really well. Velma, because she was a member of the church, through the years, you know, it was at their latter years. I only knew them probably the last maybe six or seven years of their life. Mm -hmm. I met them when they were not as involved but they were certainly involved in party politics. Yeah. And, you know, I always tried to do those things that were necessary to, you know, do GOTV efforts and make church space available when it was necessary for community meetings and all these kinds of things. The Shiloh Church had been a, certainly a big place for doing those kinds of things. That was kind of in the church's DNA to, you know, if somebody need to have a precinct meeting, well, you know, it might take place at the church or some other community meeting. Or um, I was involved heavily when we put together back in 1990. We started in 92, 93, 
a police review board, you know, simple things like that. Well, we met at the church, uh, certain urban renewal efforts, meetings were at the church. So I had gotten involved that way and I never really planned to um, run for elected office. It just kind of happened. How did that? Take us through your, your political journey. How did you end up here in the Senate? Well, two things happened. The first thing happened, there was a representative that I used to work with a lot. She's a representative now, Carla Cunningham, out of Mecklenburg County. And we were doing a lot of work in the uh, party operations and the state party and all these kinds of things. She said, Paul, you ought to, all this work you're doing, you ought to think about running for elected office. And I didn't (laughs) think anything about it. And I said, ah, you know. And then a little while later, maybe a year or two later, Earlene Parman says, Dr. Lowe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire. You're going to need to take my place. And I said, oh. All right. <laughs> so um, she called me right after an election, actually, and said, okay, I'm, I'm pulling out. You're going to have to go in. And, uh, you know, the rest is, I've been here for almost eight years now. Well, eight years in, I'm getting ready to, you know, who knows? Maybe be here another 10. Yeah. 10 I don't know. But uh, we'll be here a while. And... Uh, we want to try to get some things done, um, but that's how it happened. Um, I do see the work that I do as an extension of the work I do at the church. One of the things that I look at is as a pastor in an urban church, you know, somebody says, hey, Reverend Lowe, I'm looking for a job. So you see what you can find out and maybe help them get a job or get a recommendation or find out who's looking for somebody, whatever. What I do now is just like signing that bill. Well, that bill I signed today, uh, participated in and worked hard on, and the governor signed it into law and all that. Well, that's going to mean some jobs. The sports wagering bill. That's going to mean a job, period. And that's how I look at it. It's a jobs. It's an economic engine. It means jobs for somebody. Yeah. So, uh, but I still go to the church most Sundays and do a sermon and share with those folks Sometimes I tell them what I'm doing here, and uh, they seem to appreciate it. Can you talk a little bit about where this public service came from, both your service in the church and your service in the Senate? You said you grew up in Washington. This has to be a lot different than Was- the state of Washington, but were your parents really involved? What my was that mother, like? My father, I remember when my father ran to be a precinct chair back in the 60s, growing up in the 60s, you know, you participated in the marches. You remember most stuff that re- that happened. Um, I don't remember, you know, the assassination of Malcolm X as much, mm. but I do vividly remember the assassination of Dr. King. Um, you know, I remember when they named the swimming pool after Medgar Evers. And I remember those kinds of things. I remember the peace marches and the civil rights marches um, mm-hmm. that took place. I lived, grew up not too far from the University of Washington. I grew up in a family that was involved in those kinds of things. I remember hearing Dr. King speak. Did not understand at all the significance of him speaking at all. You know, tell another period in life when I begin to understand, okay, this, this is how, how old were you then? Oh, I don't know. Six, seven, eight, okay. you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah. like, okay. You know, I didn't, I didn't get it. 
Yeah. And most of us that age didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, It was much later. But um, because my parents and particularly my mother was involved in service, I guess that's kind of where we where I got it from. I certainly my grandfather as well. So that's kind of, I guess, where yeah. I got it from, you know, that you, you try to make your surroundings better by not just fussing about what you don't like. But if you fuss, will you get in there and try to do something about it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I, I see people, and it probably frustrates me when they tell me, well, um, all of the things that are wrong. And you say, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? What do you want to do? And when you hear crickets, you know, it's like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. You came into the Senate, and it's Republican-controlled. You come from the party side, the Democratic Party side. It's noticeable to just about everyone that you've uniquely positioned yourself as not only a loyal Democrat, but you managed to be a part of a lot of what the leadership on the Republican side, you will help them with bills. I've seen you fix bills. I've seen you tinker with bills, but I've also seen you endorse bills. You're a primary sponsor with Senator Bill Rabin on the medical marijuana bill. You seem to have carved out a lane. I told you before we turned on the microphones, I saw you as an ambassador from the Democratic caucus to the Republican caucus. You kind of laughed at that, but Tell me what your reaction is to that. Um, I, my style of politics, if it be such, is relational. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can talk to anybody about anything if you first build a relationship with them. And I try to come from that angle because that's what I understand and that's what I know from my professional life mm-hmm. um, as a minister for more than 30 years and I think that you can get a lot done if you can sit down and talk with folks, you know, kind of get them a one on one. Hey, what do you think? You know, do you really mean this? Why not? You know, I think that we can get it done because what I learned real fast and watching, if you wait till you get to the Senate floor, whatever you want to do is dead on arrival. You know, you have to really in this kind of climate. You know, begin where you want to go with it early on, and then you got to decide what you want to do from the standpoint you can be a bomb thrower or you can try to get something done for your district. And when you do that, a lot of people won't be happy with you, and sometimes the, the biggest pushback will be from maybe your own party mm-hmm. um, because they're just... You know, there'd be some tension there. You know, a lot of people want us to be a gnashing of teeth, Mm -hmm. to be against each other, to want to fight each other all the time. And the fact of the matter is 75 percent, 75 to 80 percent of the time we vote together anyway. Mm -hmm. It's only certain issues that we're diametrically opposed. Those are some of the things that um, that I look at and I want to sit down and get to know people and allow them the opportunity to get to know me. Um, I feel like if we leave the room and we're working on something and my group and your group leaves the room frustrated, maybe we've done what's best for the people. (laughs) Yeah. 
because it can't be, you know, one group wants to give it all away and another group wants to totally defund the government. And you can't do either one. Right. You got to, you know, come together and do what's best for the people. We live in a time where both sides of the aisle want to get in the media, be on social media with that, that barnstorming speech. Having those private conversations, you're sacrificing something, right? Because you're going behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't, it's not as sexy, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe you get something done that will actually help someone. And I think those are the things that we are called to do if we're going to be in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, you know, they have visions of where they want to go and what else they want to do. And this is a stepping stone for something else. But these things that we do as state legislators affect people's lives uh, in dramatic fashion. And I think that, you know, we need to respect it as such Just because we don't like a bill that someone sponsors doesn't necessarily mean that we ought not like them as a human person. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of how I try to move. And for listeners out there, we don't want to imply that Senator Lowe is a yes vote for Republicans. There are many Many, issues. Many, 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 many. (laughs) That you have uh, registered your discontent with. Yes. Yeah, there's some on the table even right now. (laughs) (laughs) How do you kind of navigate that tension within your party and then that tension with Republicans where they want your vote on things, but you are principled on certain ideals? Just say no. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I think that people genuinely respect you when you're honest with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you have to do. And you have to be clear on with your and honest with yourself. I think that the first person that you need to be honest with is yourself. A lot of people are not honest with themselves. And like I have a district and it's it's filled with all kinds of things. It's very it's a very unique district. It's democratic, mm-hmm. but it's very unique in terms of where people are in their politics. I think that might be a good way to describe it. You're one of two Senate Democrats on the Budget Conference Committee. You and Mike Woodard got to yes. be a lot of pressure from your Democratic friends there. They must be expecting you to bring it home, and that's got to be challenging too, right? It is. It yeah. is. Um, a lot of people want you to do things that you're probably not going to be able to do. Right. And uh, sometimes, but you, you know, you try to be open to listening and open to doing what you can. Um, you know, my basic general philosophy is if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Right. So, you know, I think it's better to be in the room when the sausage is being made than not be in the room at all. And I, that's very important to me. And I try to I try to share that with my supporters that, you know, would you rather me be in the room or would you rather me stand outside of the room and holler? You know, but you can't have them both. What's a bill that you've worked on in your tenure that you're really proud of? Well, I'm proud of this uh, wagering bill that we finally got through, but I really want to see this medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's something that's extremely important. I think it will help some people. 
It's not going to help everybody, but I do think it'll help somebody. I think it's something that we need to truly work on getting past. I feel pretty confident that we're going to get it passed, but that's not to say that I'm not still counting votes, Mm -hmm. but I think we're going to get there. On the WUNC podcast, I believe you shared a personal story to you that kind of brought you into this issue. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, I think I talked about, uh, and I don't want to say share too much about that story, and I might have shared too much then, but I knew a young lady that was um, became addicted to, um, and she was a member of the church, to uh, painkillers and ultimately OD. And just maybe, you know, this cannabis medicine could have helped her. And maybe she could have gotten off of what she was on. Um, I think that opiates are dangerous. You know, I heard somebody say, well, you know, the FDA hasn't, you know, well, they okayed Oxycontin. Look what that got us. You know, <laughs> So I think that those are things. But um, that's one of the things that I looked at. What happened with that young person uh, that I watched go graduate from high school and all of these other kinds of things and what ultimately happened to her. And I remember it was shortly after I got here in Raleigh getting a phone call and I driving to where she lived and police all around and when I get there start to walk down the hallway I see her feet because she's laying in the floor Hmm. you know and that I said we've got to do something and when Bill Rabin talked to me about his experience and I said hey I'm with you let's do it and uh, we we went to work the bill is narrow in its scope and its approach which I think is best for North Carolina, uh, being the purple state that we happen to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that's a good segue. Um, A lot of people have talked to me about, what about recreational? I said, that's somebody else's bill. (laughs) You know, but I'm working in this space right now. Let's talk about the intersection of faith and politics. There seems to be this narrative out there that one party is of faith and the other party is not. Clearly, that's not true. You're a man of faith. You're a minister, a reverend. You're also a Democratic senator representing your district. Have you reflected on that? What I will say is I think a lot of individuals have a very narrow view of faith and what it ought to rest on. Um, when we look at the examples of Jesus, he was always busy trying to heal someone, trying to comfort someone, trying to liberate someone. And I think we are called to do some of those things. What well, we are called to do those things. And I think that how we approach that, you know, a lot of times we'll take one issue and get caught in that one issue and that will be the sum total of our christianity and i think god is bigger than that and certainly christ is as well um then i also look at and i never will forget the the words of um mohandas gandhi that said you know your christ i love but it's your christianity that i'm wrestling with 
And I think that sometimes what we're calling Christianity is certainly not the example of Jesus. If you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing in our politics today, what would it be? Um, I think that I would find a way that we could sit down and really talk to one another versus talk at one another. Maybe it's because of social media. Maybe it's because of television with all the channels we have. When I was a kid, we had three major channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. You heard Huntley and Brinkley, and you heard all of these different folks. And you kind of got around, you, you heard it all. Now you have Fox, you have CNN, you have MSNBC, and there's a whole host of other stuff out there. And people listen to only what they want to hear. And I think that we need to hear more than just our perspective. To gain a perspective, I remember sitting down talking to a transgender uh, young person at a school in Winston-Salem. And it gave me a whole different view of their story and their struggle. Now, it's not my story, it's not my struggle, but it's their struggle. And we as legislators, we need to try to help people find balance for their lives so that they can be productive citizens. I think that's what we are supposed to do. And that's where my faith comes in. Everybody is not going to see out of the same lens not even with the same glasses. Mm -hmm. So I think those are things we got to think about. Well, Senator Paul Lowe, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the North Carolina Senate. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here, and I, I certainly enjoyed it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. What a fun conversation. You know, we've had multiple requests from legislators and lobbyists and staffers saying, you got to get Senator Lowe on the podcast. He is so well-liked in the General Assembly. You know, he's known for going hunting with the Republicans. Uh, he certainly works with them closely on some bills. But again, let me stress not to say that he agrees with them on everything. Uh, he does vote no a lot. He votes with his caucus, but just has this really warm personality, loves to tell a joke, loves to hear a joke. And it was so great having him on the podcast. Senator Lowe, thank you for being our guest. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This is awkward because it's like the second time I've done this in maybe the last month. But Tweet of the Week <laughs> goes to me, all thanks to me. 
Who are you? <laughs> I don't even know. So I'm at Skydiving11 on Twitter, and my tweet is a picture from the Signy Diner, which is where you can go to get a snack at the General Assembly. And it is a picture of two chili dogs in a bag, and it says Authentic Fresh to You brand. <laughs> That's questionable, but we'll get into it, I'm sure. Handmade, double chili dog, fresh through 618, might I add that I saw this on June 20th. <laughs> so the tweet says, who's buying the double chili dogs in the NCGA signy diner? Show yourself. Now, that was the tweet. It was a decent tweet, but there were some great comments. You know I love seeing the comments. Clark Reamer said, not brave enough for that. Sam Watts highlighted the handmade. Julie, your wife, said, is it close to a bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> Will Perry Hill was like, expired to boot. <laughs> <laughs> Representative Torbett said the same guy buying all the Tums. <laughs> and then Don Vaughn put a gif up, Futurama, saying, Ugh, it's like a party in my mouth and everyone's throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk Ross said, It's the fresh to you part that scares me. <laughs> and a guy named Will C said, How is it only 550 calories for two chili dogs? I mean, these are all valid questions. <laughs> I know, you know, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich is 450 <laughs> calories, but that's only 550. I find that questionable. Also, Tom Goff said, Wouldn't it be more fun to have an NCGA vending machine double chili dog <laughs> eating contest <laughs> and ditch the milk chugging thing? I'd pay to see that. I don't think we have to ditch. Why don't we do milk? chugging and then the double chili dog just see how much your stomach can handle <laughs> the expired chili dogs yeah. pro tip on the diner do not eat the food on monday and tuesday because they replenish it on wednesday morning chances are you're going to get a better product one that hasn't expired yet and who taught uh, you that you did yeah that peanut butter see, she who is she? A wealth of knowledge. <laughs> the peanut butter and jelly sandwich on Wednesday tastes so much better than the one on Tuesday. Probably because it's expired. It is expired. Sunny Diner was a mess this week. A long line of people trying to pay for their food on that computer. Mm -hmm. And you see like $5 bills thrown down, $1 bills because it wasn't taking credit cards. People would turn around and wave to the camera and say, I'm trying to pay. <laughs> Because, you know, we don't want Paul Koble to come and take a chair from us again, because <laughs> that is the punishment for all things. Chairs will be removed. You know what petty punishment I think there is at the General Assembly? The fact that all of those circle marble tables <laughs> are not steady. So if you put something on, it starts wobbling, you know. Yes. And have you seen even one of them <laughs> That is made for using as a workstation? It's Paul Coble loosening up the screws. <laughs> so when you put your laptop, you're just shaking everything. <laughs> so you'll eventually get up. Mm -hmm. See, it's a workaround to no chairs. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll stand up, you get frustrated, and you leave. And yeah. you leave that chair. <laughs> I want to note for listeners out there, the whole idea that we're getting fast passes, the idea that Representative Setzer has filed legislation, the idea that fast passes are imminent, that the corner offices have even gotten involved. I will just say, Paul Coble has yet to implement a fast pass. He is winning, and we're all going to suffer. 
You know what my personal fast pass is? Today, 4-H kids were there. <laughs> They're moving slowly across the bridge. You should have seen my ass was scooting. <laughs> and I got in. Ivan was like, <laughs> thought you weren't going to beat him in here, didn't you? <laughs> Back to the Signy Diner. You know how you pay on the iPad in there? Whatever. It's not really an iPad, but it's the not screen. An it's an <laughs> off-brand <laughs> iPad. I mean... <laughs> Well, this brings me to my next point, the off-brand iPad. What's up with <laughs> going like, okay, we're right across the street from a coffee shop, going to the coffee shop, they take your order, and then they turn the iPad around to you. And it's like, how much would you like to tip? And I'm like, for what? We're <laughs> asking, what will you have? And by the way, the coffee shop that's by our office, we like Sir Walter. It's great We like it. But everyone there seems to be agitated that you're even, you're even giving them business. So like, I'm paying for your bad attitude. Yeah. What's going on with the iPad tipping situation? And then you feel like a jerk if you don't do it. So you, so you gotta, you gotta give them something. I know. And then I'm like, wait, what did you do for me? Yeah. You turn this iPad around <laughs> for me to hit 18% because you don't want to give 15. Yeah. You feel bad. Yeah. My dad used to embarrass us as kids because if we had a particularly bad waiter or waitress, he'd be like, I only get 2%. That's what you're getting. And then my mom would have to follow up, you know, try to make it better. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Apologize. Yeah. I always feel bad when I go to Sir Walter and I'm wearing a suit and a tie. Oh, because everyone's tattooed. Oh, so cool. T-shirts, tattoos, greasy hair, a lot of man buns over there. A lot of people explaining cryptocurrency. Yeah. And, I, and I just feel like, I, I, just, I, I go, I say, hey, I want a black coffee, and uh, can I get a shot of espresso? And they say, that's called a black eye. And, and I think, <laughs> oh, I did, really? Yeah, I'm supposed to say it's a black eye. I mean, why are you telling me that? <laughs> I am a 51-year-old man. I just want a coffee with espresso. You call it a black eye? I call it a coffee with espresso in it. So you spend a lot of time talking about how everyone looks, try so hard to be cool. If we're on the street and someone like... It's trendy for guys to roll the bottoms of their pants up. You're like, how much time did he spend this morning doing that? Well, how much time did you spend putting those suspenders on? <laughs> I do spend. I do, <laughs> you should. Yeah, see, gotcha. You should see me in the morning trying to. Get, I'd rather not, actually. Get, yeah, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> it's pretty sad. But yeah, getting the suspenders right. And the other day I got the suspenders on because I put my suspenders on first and then I get in my pants. But then I had it all twisted up. I hadn't really lined it up. So I had to undress again. You had to undress just to untwist it? Y yeah. Why wouldn't you unclip it? Well, I, I could. The way you do everything so inefficiently really grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah, getting dressed in the morning is not my most efficient self. I try to put what my What is your up, most efficient self? But I do have a certain level of efficiency because I only have three suits that fit. I have a dark blue suit, a blue suit, and a gray suit. So that I don't have to think about. Well, now that you've lost weight, haven't you expanded that? I'm in the in-between. I'm still wearing my fat suits. I haven't worn my medium fat suits, and I've definitely not. Well, have you tried them on? One I did, and I'm, it's a little tight. And, and plus, I feel a little more confident if the suit's a little looser. 
I'm not very efficient. And, and, you know, I got these shirts recently. They have the French cuffs on them. So I've been wearing these mm-hmm. cufflinks. Oh, you should see me in the morning trying to get the cufflink through. It falls down on the ground, rolls under the bed. I've got to find. Also, not a pretty sight. Mm. Takes a lot of effort to look rich. <laughs> You know, these cheap off-the-rack suits, though. Uh, you know, we were yeah, talking about that. I love how you say they're off-the-rack suits from Brooks Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Known for being <laughs> really the low-class type of place. Yeah, I mean, they're not like Tom Fetzer suits, Mike Hager suits. You know, those guys wear real custom suits with a different color stitching on it. You know, I just have buttons on my suit. For the sleeve, they're just for show. They don't actually function as buttons, but theirs do. Which brings me to a point. Okay. Carl Gilmore and I were talking about this yesterday because he also wears off-the-rack suits. We don't understand this obsession with wearing a suit that really sticks out. We don't want people to notice our suits. because Maybe... We don't want people to say, like, didn't he wear that suit last Thursday? He's wearing it again. Because there will be two suits. I wear two suits a week. And then on Thursday, I wear, you know, my what I call my umpire uniform, gray slacks and a blue blazer. But I don't want people to notice my suits. Okay. Maybe, maybe, Mm -hmm. consider this, that them wearing loud suits is equivalent to you laughing and clapping at the (laughs) same time. So funny. Like, so funny. Yeah. So funny. That's it. Yeah. That gets on your nerves. Yeah, it, it does because that's when I know it's a fake. <laughs> if Ron tells you whatever you said was so funny, he means this is not funny at all. But anyway, <laughs> back to the point. Maybe it's just their way of getting attention. Maybe. When I have a closet full of suits that I can fit into, you know. But if then I, will you want to bring attention to them? Well, maybe I would be able to have more suits. But see, a guy like me, I need to have three sets of suits, skinny suits, bigger suits, and fat suits. I've probably got nine suits, but they're all for the different levels of size that I'm at. I cannot fault anyone for expressing themselves through clothing. Yeah, well, you get so many compliments on your clothing, especially when you wear pink, get a lot of folks coming up to you and telling you how great you look. And then this week, you wore glasses, pink glasses, blue glasses. Gosh, people are coming up. What is it like to be you where people are coming up to you telling you how great you look? Can I tell you that Carl Gilmore and I, we never have people coming up to us saying, boy, I really like the way you're dressed today. Well, don't people tell you, oh, people tell you all the time they like your socks. That's your way of dressing up your suits, even though you wear the same like four pairs of socks every week. (laughs) Thanks for pointing that out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a great week. uh, Has it? Yeah, you know, well. Tensions are very high. That is true. We need this July 4th break coming up, by the way. Yeah, but we still have a week before that. We do. Keep that in mind. We saw two very heated exchanges in committee today in the Senate. Man, we need to go back to our corners, chill out, eat some hot dogs, and celebrate the 4th. Well, remember last week when I said, 
hey, next week we'll maybe be close to the end of session, the end of the budget process. I lied to you, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so next week we will be closer to the July 4th break, <laughs> and that's the only thing I can guarantee. But we will be back at it to talk about what happened in the week of North Carolina politics. If it's anything like this week, it'll be crazy. Join us then, but until then, please get outside. Maybe it'll stop raining or just enjoy the rain. And please remember to do politics better.